So my wife, Rebecca, and I, earlier this year, we, were, we received an impression from the Spirit and confirmed it, that it was indeed from the Lord that we needed to move. And this was no easy uh, task. We had to give up, you know, where we had lived. We had been there 10 years. That's where we had raised, you know, our children. The majority of their lives were spent in that house. We had many friends. We had a very connected social network. Uh, we loved that neighborhood. Our family lived all around us. It was, it was wonderful. And we loved it there. But, you know, the Lord reached out to us and asked us to move or commanded us to move. And that, you know, when we confirmed it was from him, we immediately went to work and started, you know, packing and make, making an arrangements. My wife was a little bit more okay with the move than I was because we moved out to a place where we could get some farmland and a garden and animals, things like that. And she had always loved the idea to do that kind of thing. But for me, this lifestyle in the country is the exact opposite of everything that I ever wanted and, and had built and was, you know, shooting for in my life. So although I said, yes, I would do it, it took some cajoling on the behalf of the Lord to get me to do it. And I finally did it. And over these last six or seven months, I've begun to see why um, he asked us to do that, or at least I've seen part of it. I'm sure there's still more, more to come. But one of the important parts of that commandment that he gave us is because we are in the middle of this transition from our old life into our new life. And when you make this transition, as everybody on this call probably knows, sooner or later, the temptation will come for you to somehow fit back into your old life. Because this new life is hard. You know, you lose all the things that at one time brought you happiness and you can survive on just the spirit in the beginning of that. But sooner or later, you'll start to miss some of those things in your old life. And I can see that if I still lived in the middle of my old life, how much easier it would be to go back to some of those old habits that I used to have, especially among the people that I loved. Because I remember, you know, when I first got on the path and began talking to them about the doctrine of Christ and explaining some of my experiences, they were, they were patient at first because they loved me. But in time, they were rejecting it. They were not, you know, they were not okay with it. So I could see that if I continued living where I was living, that eventually that would wear on me. And either I would stop talking about it or I would conform back to what the group was doing. So I'm very thankful that the Lord asked us to make that move. It was a clean break in our lives. And we were able to build a new life. And I still go back and, you know, to that, oh, I still go back up to where we live from time to time to take care of business or to meet with family and whatnot. And I feel those feelings again. But when I come back home to our new home, I'm able to recommit again. Now, this is a very important concept. Because tonight we're going to talk about becoming converted to Jesus Christ. And I believe that everyone on this call is probably on that path to conversion, if not already fully converted 
everyone that's on this call tonight. But all of us, part of the fruit of that conversion, one of the first fruits, is that you want to help convert the rest of your family and your friends and all those people from your past life. And part of the reason why you want to do that is because it's like a validation that what you've done is correct. And it's also because sometimes you feel lonely on the path and you want to convert someone to bring them, you know, so you'll have somebody to talk about. And we've all experienced that. But the main reason that we want to help people be converted unto Jesus Christ is because the spirit moves upon our hearts and minds to do that very thing. And if you're listening to the Spirit, it is a constant message that the Spirit is giving you to go out and speak the Lord's truth. And the first people we feel comfortable doing that with is the people that we already know. So, you know, we've all probably done that. And we've all probably experienced different levels of success. And we've probably all experienced what it means to get kicked in the face. When you teach people these principles and they, you know, when they get past that part of where they're being patient with you and the truth comes out, they really do not want to hear it. And they think that you've been deceived and they, you know, they think that you're on a bad path. In general, I'm okay with whoever. You can believe whatever you want. You can teach me whatever you want. And it doesn't cause me a big problem if I don't believe everything that you're saying. I do not fall to pieces like glass because you're teaching a concept that I don't agree with. You know, I feel confident in my ability to take it to the Lord and come up with my own answers. So I'm comfortable about around anybody. Say whatever you want. Say whatever you believe. Explain it however you want. You can even question my beliefs and it doesn't hurt my feelings. But that doesn't seem to be the case for everyone. Some people, even if you say a little bit, it just is like you're cutting them with a knife. And you want so badly to help them to be converted and to be able to talk to the Lord and get their own revelation, but they just won't listen. And when that person is someone you live with, daily you are reminded that there's this difference between you. You know, I've seen some of you on here you know, who are on the path and your spouse is not. And, I hear, and I've heard your stories. And I know how heartbreaking it is. And I know how badly you want them to come to the Lord. And it's just not, it just hasn't happened yet. And I don't think I have all of the answers for that. But I still wanted to tackle that problem tonight. You know, and if we can stick in the scriptures and stay with the scriptures and read the good word. I pray that the spirit might touch your mind and your heart. And give you some ideas that you can continue to try that at least gives you hope. You know, because that hope is so important. Every day when you wake up, if you have that hope that maybe today I can say something that moves them a little bit closer to the path, then you can keep going. So if, you know, we can accomplish that tonight, then I will have considered this a valuable meeting. Now, what we... We, we do indeed want people to be converted to Christ, but what we want is we want to teach the word or the doctrine of Christ. And the pattern is, is that we want these people that we love to first hear the word of God, the truth. 
And most of the stuff that comes out of our mouths on a day-to-day basis is not the word of God. It's the philosophies of men, you know, our way of approaching life and what we think we should be doing. But when we get into the scriptures and we study the doctrine of Christ, we can feel confident that these words are his words. So the first thing for the step of conversion is you have to speak the word of God. The next step is the hearer of that word has to believe it. They can't immediately reject it for whatever reason. But if they believe it, then the next step comes into play, which is the spirit confirming that that word is indeed truth. This is our goal, to speak the word of God, that the person you're speaking to hears you, And then they let the Spirit confirm that word as being the word of God. If those three things happen, you know, then the person is just on fire on their own. And they may still need to talk with you and ask questions about what do I do here or what do I do there. But the idea here is you've helped start their engine and now they're, you know, off to the races on their own. So, hearing the word, you know, the Lord put the church under condemnation in 1832 in Doctrine and Covenants section 84. And why did he do that? Because he offered the covenant to the early members of the church. He offered them a way out of the darkness and a way out of the unbelief. And all they had to do was hear his word and follow his spirit And if you follow his spirit, he will lead you into this covenant. It requires on our part to offer the Lord a broken heart and contrite spirit. If we do that, he will baptize us with fire and the Holy Ghost. And if we endure on the straight path, listening and feasting to every word of Christ, eventually we can receive our second comforter as well, which is to come into the presence of the Lord and the fullness of his glory. Now, this covenant that the Lord offers us is the way to come back to him and to be in his presence again. And he offered this covenant to the children of Israel through his servant Moses, and the children of Israel rejected the covenant. And they also went under condemnation because of that. He offered this covenant to the early church. They rejected it because of unbelief and vanity. Vanity meaning, you know, they took it lightly. No big deal. Unbelief meaning they never really even believed in the first place. They didn't even have the desire to believe, you know, enough that they could plant that seed and get a confirmation by the Spirit that indeed this covenant was real and the Word of God. So today, we're still under that condemnation. Everyone's under that condemnation that the Lord has offered the covenant to and that you are rejecting that covenant. Why do we reject that covenant? For the same reasons, unbelief and vanity. We take it too lightly. We don't realize the seriousness of the covenant that he has offered us. And because of that, we stay in darkness. Our minds stay in darkness. And there is, again, only one way out of that. We have to remember that covenant, which is in the Book of Mormon. Now, the Book of Mormon is filled with thousands of examples 
of people who heard the word, believed the word, the spirit confirmed the word, and it led to their conversion. And there's three examples that I want to talk about tonight. Those are Enos, Alma, and King Lamoni. So the first scriptures I want to talk about is each of these three actually hearing the word. So if you turn with the book of Enos, verse 3, you get the first one. Verse 3 in the book of Enos. Behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forest, and the words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart. There's that word. The first step. His father Jacob taught him the word his whole life. And finally, while he's in the forest hunting beasts and thinking about that word, it's sunk into his heart. Next, Alma. This is in Mosiah chapter 17, verse 2. Mosiah 17, verse 2. But there was one among them whose name was Alma, he also being a descendant of Nephi, and he was a young man, and he believed the words which Abinadi had spoken. Prophet Abinadi came and spoke with you know, King Noah and his court, and no one believed the word except for Alma. He heard the word being preached by Abinadi. First step, always. Next, King Lamoni in Alma chapter 18, verse 40. And it came to pass after that. So Alma chapter 18, verse 40. We're talking about King Lamoni and Ammon had taught him the word. And it came to pass that after he had said all these things and expounded them to the king, that the king believed all his words. So three examples of men in the book of Mormon who their first step in their conversion was they heard the word. Someone who knew the word taught them the word, and they heard it, and they believed it. So let's go back to Enos 1 verses, or the first, the book of Enos, verse 3. Or actually, let's, let's stay with, with, with Enos, we've already covered it. Behold, I went to hunt the beasts in the forests, and the word I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life sunk deep into my heart. So he heard the word, but he didn't kick it out this time. He didn't kick it out with his unbelief. He believed it. That's what sinking deep into your heart means. Now let's go to Mosiah 26.15 to see how this worked for Alma. Mosiah chapter 26, verse 15. Blessed art thou, Alma, and blessed are they who were baptized in the waters of Mormon. Thou art blessed because of thy exceeding faith in the words alone of my servant Abinadi. 
And blessed are they because of their exceeding faith in the words alone which thou hast spoken unto them. All Alma did is he heard the word of Abinadi. He was the only one that heard it and didn't cast it out with his unbelief. He believed it. And that one act of faith led to his conversion. And the Lord in verse 15 is blessing him for that. All he did was heard the word of one servant and was willing to change his life because of it. And it wasn't just him. It was all the people that he baptized at the waters of Mormon who all they did was heard the words of Alma. And just based on hearing the word of Alma and believing, they were able to become converted. And the Lord blessed them mightily as well. Now let's turn to Alma chapter 19, verses 31 and 32 to read about King Lamoni. So Alma chapter 19 Verses 31 through 32. By the way, I have all of these scriptures written up. And when we post this on the website, if you want uh, the list of scriptures, they'll all come with that blog post. Okay, back to Alma chapter 19, verses 31 through 32. So this is King Lamoni. You know, he heard the word. He believed the word. And then he passed out. And it says... And then when he arose again, immediately seeing the contention among his people went forth and began to rebuke them and to teach them the words which he had heard from the mouth of Ammon. So the words that led to his conversion, he taught them to his household. And as many as heard his words believed and they were converted unto the Lord. So they heard the word, they believed the word and it led to their conversion. But there were many among them who would not hear his word. Therefore, they went their way. That might be, you know, the boat that a lot of us are in. We can't even begin to teach our loved ones the doctrine of Christ if they won't hear us. Or if they pretend like they're listening and when we're saying it, they're not really hearing it. You know, they're putting on the blinders to to anything you're saying. And if that's the case, there's going to be no chance for them to believe it and have it confirmed by the Spirit. So the most important first step is to help them to first hear that word. Next, after you've heard it and you don't kick it out by your unbelief and you believe it's possible, now you have to go confirm with the Spirit that indeed it is the Word of God. Because you know what? We all hear words all day long from every different source. And a lot of those words we believe. And then we go and pray about them. And the Lord says, that is not my word. That is not my truth. And that's okay. You know, you tried it. And the Lord confirmed that it wasn't truth. So you can kick that out. But when it is his word, it is so important not to just believe, but to confirm with the spirit that it is indeed the Lord's word. And this, you know... How, how does this happen? In verse, or in Doctrine and Covenants section 84, verses 45 through 46. Section 84 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 45 through 46. How does the word get confirmed? For the word of the Lord is truth. 
Whatsoever is truth is light. Whatsoever is light is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world. And the spirit enlighteneth every man through the world that hearkeneth to the voice of the spirit. All of us are born with the light of Christ. And you can have confidence that your friends and loved ones have that light of Christ within them. And light cleaves to light. When you speak the word of God, all words of God are truth. That truth is light. It is spirit. So if everyone has the light of Christ in them, they can recognize that light. When you speak the word of God, something's different if they haven't completely snuffed that light out. Something is different when the word is spoken. And they can verify from the spirit that this is from God. If they continue on that path, listening to the spirit, the spirit can lead them to all truth. It's the spirit that will teach them how to repent and how to enter into the new and everlasting covenant. It's the spirit that will teach them how to be redeemed, how to endure on the path until they can come back into Christ's presence. So we don't always have to, you know, worry when you're speaking the truth, that you're the one that has to convince somebody. That's the Spirit's job. That's the Lord's job. These are His children. He has put the light of Christ in them. He knows how to speak to them and convince them of the truth through the Spirit. Now, at times we give the adversary power to block that. If you turn to section 93, it talks about how the adversary removes this truth from us. And this is in verse 39 of section 93 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And that wicked one cometh and taketh away light and truth through disobedience from the children of men and because of the tradition of their fathers. Certainly, if somebody is, you know, neck deep in some sort of iniquity, it's going to be tough for them to hear the word. And that, you know, that's going to be people that you're talking to, for sure. But most of the members of the church, I would say it's the tradition of their fathers that keeps them more, you know, from not listening to you. Alma, chapter 10, verses 25, makes this point. Alma 10, 25. But Amulek stretched forth his hand and cried the mightier unto them, saying, O ye wicked and perverse generation, why hath Satan got such great hold upon your hearts? Why will ye yield yourselves unto him that he may have power over you to blind your eyes, that you will not understand the words which are spoken according to the truth? If someone prefers the comfort of their tradition, it's going to be real hard for them to believe the word. First of all, they probably won't even listen to you. 
But if they do, they're going to kick it out by unbelief. Now, that's something that you can work on to be more convincing in the explanation of the word. And that's something that, uh, you know, we're going to talk about here in a little bit that the sons of Mosiah got really good at. But the main point that I want to make here, again, is on the steps of this path is first, they have to hear the word. And second, they have to believe the word. And then the spirit, you know, can testify that that word is indeed from God. So you have to figure out where they're at. You have to figure out where they're at in that process and which part they're getting stuck on before you can go and ask Heavenly Father how best to overcome that. Now, once someone makes it through these steps, they hear the word, they believe the word, and the Spirit confirms the word. Now we get to see the mighty effect that the word has on people. And we'll go back to Enos and Alma and King Lamoni. Let's look first at Enos 1, or the book of Enos, verse 4. Okay, Enos, verse 4. Enos heard the word. He believed it, and the Spirit confirmed it. And what was the reaction from all of that? Verse 4, And my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for my own soul. And all day long did I cry unto him. Yea, and when the night came, I still did raise my voice high that it reached the heavens. He immediately wanted to be forgiven of his sins. Once he was convinced of the word and heard the Holy Ghost, immediately he began praying to be forgiven of his sins. Let's look at, uh, let's see. Alma, same thing. Alma, you know, I think he describes it as his wrestle before God, before he received a remission of his sins. Immediately, he wanted, you know, to pray and ask for forgiveness. And I think that, you know, Mosiah 23, 9, 10, I think is the verse for that. Let me look that up. Mosiah chapter 23, verses 9 through 10. But remember the iniquity of King Noah and his priests, and I myself was caught in a snare and did many things which were abominable in the sight of the Lord, which caused me sore repentance. Nevertheless, after much tribulation, the Lord did hear my cries and did answer my prayers and has made me an instrument in his hand in bringing so many into a knowledge of the truth. Same reaction, same reaction as Enos. As soon as he was convinced by the spirit, he immediately wanted to be forgiven of his sins. And that same thing applies to, uh, you know, King Lamoni as well, who he had probably the most interesting reaction out of all of them in Alma chapter 18, verses 41 through 42. And he began to cry unto the Lord, saying, Lord, have mercy according to thy abundant mercy, which thou hast had upon the people of Nephi, have upon me and my people. And when he had said this, he fell unto the earth as if he were dead. Immediately, he cries out to the Lord for forgiveness for his sins. He's convinced. He's convinced the spirit has touched him. 
And his reaction was to seek forgiveness. But this isn't the only reaction. This isn't the only fruit of being converted. There was also an interesting reaction, a pattern that I saw in all three of them, as far as as soon as they repented and received a forgiveness, what happened after that? Enos, you know, immediately began praying for the welfare of not only the Nephites, but his enemies, the Lamanites. Alma, same thing. You know, immediately, his desire was to be an instrument in the Lord's hands, to bring as many as he could to the knowledge of the truth. King Lamoni, same thing. Immediately when he was forgiven and he, and he woke up, he began preaching to everyone that was in his house, everyone that would listen. These two fruits are, you know, pretty, pretty profound, If you're trying to figure out if you've been converted to the Lord or not, ask yourself if you've seen these fruits in your life. Have you had a desire to repent? Have you cried out on the Lord to ask, you know, what you can do to repent? And secondly, do you have that desire to help other people come to the Lord as well? Now, these three men that we're talking about from the Book of Mormon tonight didn't just do that once. They dedicated their whole lives to it to bringing others to the Lord. And Enos received a profound blessing from the Lord, which, you know, he said, can I convert all the Lamanites? And the Lord said, no. But he said, you know, can you at least preserve this record so that one day they can have that record and that can bring them back to the Lord? And the Lord said, yes, your fathers have asked for that same thing and I will grant that promise. So that promise came because Enos was so, you know, dedicated to bringing people to the Lord, and the Lord blessed him with that. Alma goes on, you know, to form a church, joins with King Benjamin, and then is able to organize and be an instrument in the Lord's hand to spread the church and the doctrine of Christ across the entire land of Zarahemla. King Lamoni, you know, he didn't just one time say, okay, I'll help some people. No, he dedicated his life to it. He was an instrument to him and Ammon together to be able to bring thousands of the Lamanites that they too could, you know, repent and be converted. So what exactly is this word that is that has had such a profound effect on these three men? So Enos, his father was Jacob. And it says in the book of Enos that he heard, he remembered the words of eternal life that his father had often spoken to him. Well, once he said eternal life, I knew what that meant. Eternal life is the promise that you receive when you receive your second comforter. That's second comforter language. That's doctrine of Christ. It makes perfect sense that Jacob would be teaching his son the doctrine of Christ his entire life. Jacob received both the first comforter and the second comforter in his youth. And then Jacob taught his people all the days of his life. One of my favorite power verses, which is a verse in the Book of Mormon that contains all the components of the doctrine of Christ, was given by Jacob. And that's in Jacob chapter 6, verse 11. Let's read that.
Okay, Jacob, verse chapter 6, verse 11. O oh, then, my beloved brethren, repent ye, and enter in at the straight gate, and continue in the way which is narrow, until ye should obtain eternal life. Repent ye is the first step. That's offering the broken heart and contrite spirit. Enter in at the straight gate is the second step. That's receiving your first comforter. That's being baptized by fire and by the Holy Ghost. And when you've entered that gate, continue in the way which is narrow. That's the straight path which you must endure to the end on. That's the third step. Then you shall obtain eternal life. That's the promise that the Savior gives you when you receive the second comforter. That is the entire doctrine of Christ. This is what Jacob taught. Of course, he taught this to his son. His son had the word of the doctrine of Christ in his mind when he was out there, you know, hunting in in the forest. That word is what sunk deep into his heart. That word, when he finally believed it, the spirit was able to confirm that it was indeed true. And then Enos didn't look back. I mean, he dedicated his life to the Lord. He got forgiven. He was redeemed. And he wanted everyone to know about it. You know, same thing with Alma. Alma heard the word from Abinadi. Now, I have not yet found a power verse from Abinadi. But I'm sure he taught one. It just probably wasn't recorded in, in the Book of Mormon record that we have. But the closest that I could find to what Abinadi taught as far as the full doctrine of Christ is Mosiah chapter 15, verse 11. That says, Behold, I stand to you that whosoever has heard the words of the prophets, yea, all the holy prophets who have prophesied concerning the coming of the Lord, I send to you that all those who have hearkened unto their words and believed that the Lord would redeem his people and have looked forward to that day for a remission of their sins, I send to you. These are his seed, or they are the heirs of the kingdom of God. So it has many of the components. You know, you come unto Christ, you receive a remission of your sins, and then you become his seed. You become literally adopted by Jesus Christ, and then these are the heirs of the kingdom of God. Being an heir to the kingdom of God is equivalent to receiving the promise of eternal life, which is equivalent to receiving your second comforter. So Alma heard Abinadi teach the doctrine of Christ. That's the word that sunk into his heart that caused his conversion and led to a life completely dedicated to the Lord to bringing other people into that as well. Now, what did, uh, you know, what did King Lamoni hear? Well, this one, oh my goodness, Ammon taught him pretty much everything <laughs> that you could teach. If we turn to Alma chapter 18, verses 36 through 39. So Alma started with, in verse 36, the creation of the world, also the creation of Adam and concerning the fall of man. And then he told him about all the scriptures and the prophets and everyone coming of his fathers down through uh, Lehi. Verse 37 And he also rehearsed all the journeys of their fathers in the wilderness and their sufferings and hunger and thirst and so forth. And in verse 38, 
He also rehearsed unto them concerning the rebellions of Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael and all their rebellions did he relate unto them. And he expounded unto them all the records and the scriptures from the time Lehi left Jerusalem. Now, that's an interesting point. I didn't bring that up with Alma. One of the things that Abinadi did is he not only taught the doctrine of Christ, he also called the court out for their iniquities. And of course, when you call people out for their iniquities, you know, you're going to get some strange reactions and most people are going to fight you. But Alma didn't. It says Alma knew of the iniquities that the king was talking or that Abinadi was talking about. He knew they were guilty of the things that he had brought up. And, you know, that's the same thing here with King Lamoni. Ammon not only taught the word of Christ, he also taught them about the wicked traditions of the Lamanites, you know, that caused the Lamanites to believe that they were right and the Nephites were evil and wicked. Remember the two things that the Satan uses to take away light and truth is your own wickedness. He convinces you to sin and also it's the traditions of your fathers. So, I don't know how much success any of us are going to have right now going and talking with our family members and calling them out for their iniquities. I kind of tried that once and it completely blew up in my face. I heard the parable of the moat and the beam like a hundred times now. And I'm like, it's true. It's true. So I, I, I never really, uh, have spoken with confidence when I'm calling other people out for their iniquities. I prefer, I feel confident that the spirit will be there when I'm preaching the words of the doctrine of Christ, but there will come a time. I can already see this is going to happen because it's happened in the scriptures where all of us, the Lord and the spirit is going to move upon us and say, you need to go start warning people. You need to call them out for their iniquities and they are going to get angry. And they're not going to react well over that. But you have to do it anyway. And you can't be afraid of doing that. I can see that that time is coming. But in the meantime, again, for me at least, I stick with the doctrine of Christ. That's the word that I teach. And, you know, even that, we've all done it. Where we go down that path about talking about the traditions of their fathers. And we all want to do that. We all want to teach section 84. And we want to talk about how the church is under condemnation because the early saints, you know, treated the covenant lightly and that we're still doing that today. And that's an important conversation to have. That is a very important conversation to have so that we can break people from the traditions that are causing them to lose light and truth. So, you know, you're each going to have to work that out at this point of which traditions you want to address and which iniquities you want to address. But I pray you do that with the spirit. So let's recap so far. The path of conversion to Jesus Christ. It starts by hearing the word. Next is you believe that word. And next, that word is confirmed by the spirit. That leads you to repent. And that leads you to want to share the word with other people. Now I'm going to share with you my experience for how I got on the path. And it follows this pattern pretty much exactly. You know, 
For me, it started about a year and a half ago, and I was reading the word in the Book of Mormon, which I always, which I had done for many, many years. I already had a testimony of the Book of Mormon, but there was two verses that stuck out within a month or two of reading them. And that was that the Lord in third Nephi and Mormon or Moroni both recommend or not recommend. They admonish us to study the words of Isaiah. And I had heard Book of Mormon prophets saying that my whole life. And I rejected that word. I didn't believe it. (laughs) I rejected it. I didn't even get a, a chance for the spirit to confirm it. But the Lord said it. And Moroni said it. And this time I held on to the belief long enough for the spirit to say, you need to do this. This is true. So I obeyed that spirit. And I began studying Isaiah. I mean, I didn't understand Isaiah at all. It took so much work. And, you know, as I, as I was studying it, I just couldn't get enough. I was spending hours and hours. And the spirit was teaching me. And I continued to hearken to the voice of the spirit. And, uh, that's what led me to uh, enter the covenant. And it started by me, um, you know, seeking revelation. And when I started seeking revelation, um, one of the first things the Lord said was the idols that I needed to get rid of. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. I didn't understand that that was coming. But he said, you need to get rid of these idols. And it was hard, but I said, yes, I'll do it. And I did it. And I continued to hearken to the voice of the spirit. And the spirit said, these beliefs that you hold are false. And these traditions that you're clinging to are false. You need to get rid of all of these things. And that will help you get closer to me. So I did that, and that was part of my path of repentance. And I can tell you for the first time in my life, I began to understand what it meant to have a relationship with the Lord. I could go to him and ask a question and receive an answer. And even if he gave me a command that was super hard, I trusted him. I trust him that if I follow it, In the end, I'll understand why, and it will have been the most perfect thing that I needed to do, just like my move. Then, you know, after I repented, my relationship was growing stronger with the Lord. Immediately, I wanted to tell everyone. I wanted to tell the whole world. I started with my wife, my family, and all my closest friends. They had to have been so dang annoyed with me at that time because I was just so excited. I wanted to talk about it all the time and say, come on, you got to do this. You got to do this. And, you know, that's been, that's been about a year and a half ago, a year, year and a half ago. And I've learned a lot of things since then about which things when you're talking to people to bring the spirit and which, you know, just drive them away. So hopefully we can talk 
some more things more about that tonight, but you know, I wanted to talk about those revelations that I received because they're, they are my personal scripture. I look at them as scripture to me. When I started off seeking revelation, I was starting off by asking yes or no questions. And I was getting yeses and I was getting nos and from the spirit and, and it was wonderful. And it didn't take too long before that was turning into multi-word answers, you know, not just a yes or a no, but a couple of word answer. And then I remember my very first sentence that I heard. And what I was asking at the time was I was seeking to understand what my mission was. You know, what is my mission here in the world? What did I agree with the Lord that I would do when I came here to the world? And the Lord said to me, my first sentence, you must do what can't be done. And that sounds crazy, but I knew exactly what that meant as soon as the Spirit spoke those words. The very next night, the sentence came to me, you must help those that can't be helped. So you must do what can't be done, and you must help those that can't be helped. And I'm not saying this applies to anyone else in the world. It was personal scripture to me. And I understood exactly what that meant. In times past, you know, when things get a little bit heated and somebody is just full of disbelief and doesn't want to hear anything that I'm saying, I've had this temptation of just, I want to drop a truth bomb on them and then wash my hands of their blood and be done with that person. And say, all right, Lord, I did, I did my part there. But I think back to that scripture that the Lord revealed to me. You must do what can't be done. The person who seems like there is no way they're ever going to listen to the word. That's the person that I, have to, I can never give up on. I can never give up on them. I have to keep trying. I have to find another way. I have to, how can I teach them the doctrine of Christ? All right. You know, they rejected it the first 120,000 times. What's the 121st times, you know, going to look like? So I'm so grateful that the Lord very early on taught me that because I think he knew what was going to happen, which is when I became fully converted to him, that I was going to have the desire to share the word with other people. And I don't think he wanted me to give up. And I haven't given up. You know, there's people that make my life very difficult, but I'm not giving up. I won't do it. It doesn't matter how angry they are with me. I'm not purposely trying to make them mad or be rude. You know, I'm not like trying to just pound them every day until they hate me. But, you know, I don't take the stuff they're saying to me very personally 95% of the time. Sometimes it hurts. But most of the time I'm like, you know, all right, that didn't work. Let's, let's try again tomorrow. So whatever experiences I have had, you know, they're nothing close to the sons of Mosiah. The sons of Mosiah, you know, at one time were pretty wicked guys themselves. And then they heard the word and then they had it confirmed by the spirit. And then they were on fire and they didn't want to just convert anybody. They wanted to go into the heart of the Lamanites. They're sworn enemies. And the Nephites had tried to convert the Lamanites before, and it wasn't going to happen. They were too full of hatred for them. 
too bloodthirsty, too idolatrous, and too wicked in their ways. So, of course, King Mosiah, when his sons come to him and say, we want to go into the heart of the Lamanites and preach the gospel to them, he was a little bit hesitant. But he prayed, and Heavenly Father said, yes, that'll be okay, and I'll protect them. So why did they want to go to the Lamanites so bad? It was because of their own repentance process. It had caused them so much pain, and they understood that gulf between the natural man and between the Lord so well. They couldn't bear thinking about anyone suffering the way that they had to suffer. Even their worst enemies, they wanted to go free them from the bondage that comes from sin and help them pierce that veil of unbelief so that they too can experience the love of our Heavenly Father and get on the path and believe that they too can be redeemed and come back into the presence of the Lord. Now, let's see. After 14 years of preaching among the Lamanites, the sons of Mosiah had suffered much hunger, thirst, fatigue, and many other afflictions, both in body and mind. Nevertheless, they brought many to the knowledge of the truth by the power of their words. How did their words get so powerful? Because of that power, thousands of Lamanites came before the altar of God, called on his name and confessed their sins before him. So there's two things we want to talk about there. How did their words get so powerful? Secondly, he just described the goal perfectly that we're all trying to accomplish. Thousands of Lamanites came before the altar of God, called on his name, and confessed their sins before him. That's the fruit that we're talking about. When you hear the word preached with power and authority, enough that you don't kick it out and you believe it, and that spirit confirms it, that's what brings people to their knees in mighty prayer calling unto God that he will forgive them of their sins. That's the conversion process. Now, how did the sons of Mosiah do this to the most wicked of all wicked? Because our families aren't on that level. Our families aren't wicked to the level of the Lamanites. So if the sons of Mosiah could do this, what can we learn from what they did so that we can help those that we love? Now let's turn to Alma, chapter 17. Verses 2 through 3. Two, Alma, chapter 17, verses 2 through 3. What gave the sons of Mosiah their power when they spoke the word? Now these sons of Mosiah were with Alma at the time the angel first appeared unto them. Therefore Alma did rejoice exceedingly to see his brethren. What added more to his joy, they were still his brethren in the Lord. Yea, they had waxed strong in the knowledge of the truth, for they were men of a sound understanding, and they had searched the scriptures diligently, that they might know the word of God. What makes them so powerful? They searched the scriptures diligently. They were men of sound understanding because of those efforts. Verse 3, but this was not all. They had given themselves to much prayer and fasting. Therefore, they had the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. And when they taught, they taught with power and authority of God. So they studied the word. They fasted and they prayed. That's what gave them the 
spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. And those two gifts are the key. What do the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation give us? I've put these scriptures in the write-up so you can, you can get them later. So I'm going to work through them, you know, kind of quickly. The spirit of prophecy is what gives you the power to understand the thoughts and intents of other people's hearts. That's Alma 12.7. That's actually, let's look that one up. Again, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the secret weapon of the sons of Mosiah and how they brought so many thousands of the Lamanites to the altar of God confessing their own sins. So Alma chapter 12 Verse 7, and now when Alma had spoken these words, Zezrom began to tremble more exceedingly, for he was convinced more and more of the power of God. And he was also convinced that Alma and Amulek had known or had a knowledge of him, for he was convinced that they knew the thoughts and intents of his heart. For power was given unto them that they might know of these things according to the spirit of prophecy. That's not fair. <laughs> Zezrom, this powerful attorney, came to argue with them and, and, you know, call their doctrine of Christ crazy. And, you know, Zizram was one of those that believed there's no such thing as sin. There's no need for redemption. We don't need a Christ. That's all the effect of your frenzied mind. And Alma and Amulek were able to read the thoughts and intents of his heart and respond accordingly because Zizram was, you know, hiding the fact that lawyers purposely try to stir things up because that's what keeps them in their profession. And, and Amulek calls him out on it. Now, how unfair is it if you go to a family member armed, already knowing the thoughts and intents of their heart? Will that help you tailor your message? Tailor the word so that they are more likely to listen to you? Of course it will. That's not the only thing that the spirit of prophecy can do. It's the spirit of prophecy that enables you to testify that Christ is coming again. It is the spirit of prophecy that enables you to know the exact timing and location of those you can influence. <laughs> There's a fellow that I really want to talk with. And he's a pretty, pretty busy guy. He's a popular guy. And uh, it's been tough. To, to get a meeting with him where we can sit down and, and, you know, talk about the doctrine of Christ. And then some weird things happened. And I went to the store one day and I was held up and I wasn't wearing a mask and everyone else was wearing a mask. And I was kind of, you know, getting the looks and everybody knows how that goes. And I turned a quarter and there was one other family that wasn't wearing the mask. And I just felt this sense of relief, like, oh, I want to talk with these guys. And I went over and it was him. It was him. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, hey. Uh. <laughs> and then I, when I calmed down, I was like, yeah, we should get together. And he was like, sure, let's let's do that. I was like, what kind of amazing power is this that when I asked the Lord, you know, to to how can I talk with this guy that the Lord orchestrated both of our lives? This is impossible that we both met in the store at that point of time. This is what comes, you know, this is one of the gifts that the Lord gives us. And that's part of that spirit of prophecy. By the spirit of, pro here's another one. By the spirit of prophecy, you can tell those you love 
what will happen to them if they don't repent and return to the Lord? You know, you can see their future and say, if you don't do this, here's what's going to happen to you. Hopefully all in a, all in a manner to convince them to listen and not just reject what you're saying, because they have to listen in order for the spirit to confirm it. Now, the spirit of revelation I've also used many times. I want to talk about how I use the spirit of prophecy and spirit of revelation when I'm, when I'm trying to teach someone. When I pray, you know, if there's some guy I'm talking with named Bob, I ask, Lord, will you reveal to me what I need to say to Bob? You know, I don't know where he's at in the path. I don't know anything about what he's going to, how he's going to, if he's going to hear the word from me or not. What should I say? And usually there's a scripture that comes to mind or a personal experience, or I've even had, you know, other people come into my mind who have an experience that might be the one that they need to hear. Usually the Lord will say, here's something that you can share. And then I inquire through the spirit of prophecy. And I say, Lord, how are they going to react to this? And I don't, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but I feel like he's putting me in their shoes. And somehow I'm realizing if you said that to me and I was in their shoes, I would know how I would react. And as I'm going through that process of thinking about being in their shoes, every now and then the spirit takes over and the spirit confirms this is what their reaction is going to be. That way, I know the message that the Lord wants me to say to him. I know the word that he wants me to say. And now I know how they're going to react so that I can tailor it appropriately. Again, I'm not into going in and dropping truth bombs and saying, the Lord told me to give you this message. Have a nice life. I don't owe you anything else. I have to, you know, whatever I can do to give each person the opportunity to hear the word, the best possible option that they can possibly have, that they will hear it. And you can't do that without the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. You've got to get good at both of those gifts. That is how the sons of Mosiah were able to do what they did. It almost wasn't fair when Ammon came before King Lamoni and already knew the thoughts and intents of his heart. So he knew what to do to get his attention and he knew how to tailor the message so that King Lamoni would hear it and not immediately reject it from this Nephite that was their sworn enemy. And it worked. It worked for King Lamoni. And he felt the spirit and he repented and he was redeemed. And he committed his entire life to the Lord after that. All right. Conclusion. There's more to be said about this. But let's keep it simple. Our goal, my friends, those of us who've been converted to Jesus Christ, our goal is to help as many other people as we can to come to that altar of God and to lay everything upon it. And if you think that you can convince somebody to do that, I mean, you're crazy. I guess it's possible. But I mean, you would have to have such a tremendous influence over somebody to get them to do that. 
you know, without being convinced by the spirit that I almost wonder that they would be holding you up as an idol if they, you could actually convince somebody to do that. In my opinion, your job is to learn the word as best you can. Put the time into the scriptures, understanding the doctrine of Christ. Fast. Pray. You know, for me, the Lord asked me to step away from work and to put full time towards it. To do, and all I did was I started in the Book of Mormon, a lot of the main chapters talking about the doctrine of Christ, and just started diagramming them all out. And I did that day after day after day for a couple of months until I had a beginning of an understanding of what the doctrine of Christ is. Maybe a lot of you already are there. I wasn't. I had to put that work in. And when I would come to a verse and I would say, what does this mean? I would kneel down and pray and ask for a revelation. And the Lord began to teach me the doctrine of Christ. And that's what's given me the ability, you know, at least to feel somewhat confident when I'm explaining the doctrine of Christ, especially to someone who has no idea what the doctrine of Christ is. They think I'm some kind of genius because I like can quote a few scriptures. Now, if I come on here and talk to Dr. Christ with you guys, you'll all make me look silly. But, you know, someone who's never heard it before, you can keep it pretty simple and you're still able to teach them the word enough that hopefully they're convinced and listen to you and don't immediately kick it out. But you got to put that work in to study it and to pray and to fast so that you can understand it and be a man or woman of sound understanding. And not only that, but you, you know, the word has to have had its effect on you. You have to believe it. You have to have knelt down and cried out to the Lord for repentance. You have to be on that path where you understand the same thing I do, which is you might not have been looking for it when you were first asking the, the Lord a few questions and he starts giving you things that you need to repent of. That same thing has happened to everyone I know that's on the path. And all of our commandments that we were given are all different. You know, whatever's in your life that you need to repent of is probably way different than what's in my life. But the point is, is it's something. It's the first fruit of the spirit convincing you of the word of God. The first fruit is that you want to repent because then you can get closer. That's what brings you closer to the Lord. And then again, when you've had that experience and you repent and you're forgiven, of something that's been holding you back and it opens the heavens even wider to be able to receive clear revelation, everything's changed. Everything's changed from then on. Next, expect that you'll want to share that with everybody that you know. Now, this is what I wanted to cover tonight. My testimony is that I was a member of the church my whole life, 45 years. I did everything. I listened to all the talks, listened to all the lessons, did all the requirements. I did all of that. I thought I knew Christ, or at least I thought I was okay, because I was doing what I was told. But when the word finally sunk deep into my soul, and the Spirit confirmed it, and I began hearkening to the voice of the Spirit, Understand pretty understood pretty quickly I had no relationship with the Savior. That relationship came through this process. Through this process of trusting Him. 
when he tells you what to do and doing it. That's how I have begun to learn who the Lord is. And when I ask family members and friends, do you know who Jesus Christ is? Of course they all say yes, if they've been members of the church. And I say, can you testify how you know that? Their answer is usually, I have all things as a testimony that he is real. And I'm like, I know you're quoting Alma, but that's a (laughs) non-answer. Is there any way you can testify of Jesus Christ without saying that one? And then you watch him stutter. And you know what? I'm like, that's me. I was there. I didn't know how to answer that either. But now I can explain to him, this is how you come to know Jesus Christ. It's called the doctrine of Christ. He gave us this doctrine. It's not super complicated. There's thousands of examples of people in the Book of Mormon. If you want to know Christ, this is what you got to do to come back into his presence. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that accept that with gladness. There's going to be those who are not so glad to hear that because it condemns them. But there will be those that accept it with gladness. And I hope and pray that's every one of your family members and all of your friends. Why not go into it with that hope? Do what can't be done. Help those that can't be helped. Keep trying. I bear this testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.